wife got tired of me running round, so she tried to keep me home. Well, she broke my nose and hid my clothes, but I continued to roam. Then she finally hit my weak spot, threatened to throw my bottle out. Well, from the basement to the rooftop, everybody could hear me shout, Give me that wine, oh, give me that wine, yeah, give me that wine, because I can't cut loose without my juice. Hello and welcome to Top Shelf, where we discuss food, spirits, and all the other things that make life worth living. We are your hosts. I am Adam, and I am joined by Rex. What's up? Today we are recording from the 320 Wine Lounge in La Brea. As soon as I walked in, I realized this is not like any other wine bar I've been to. Wine machines greet you at the door, distributing happiness by the glass. Bottles line the walls like ordnance waiting to be fired at your taste buds. It's like the room you wish you had designed to enjoy a nice bottle of wine in. This place is perfect for the new wine enthusiast or the seasoned veteran. Joining us today is the man behind 320 Wine Lounge, Edgar P. Howdy. Uh, how long have you uh, been in this location? We opened on June 27th, so as of this recording, a year and two months. We're babies. Babies. Wow. Okay. That, that's pretty good. For only a year and two months, you're very highly rated. You've received quite a bit of press. Thanks, thanks. We've gained a lot of regulars, and we've had a good time. It's been the most stressed I've ever been in my life, but also the happiest <laughs> I've ever been in my life, so it's cool. I um, find those go hand in hand most of the time. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of like marriage. Right. <laughs> Stress and happiness. So I okay. can see that. <laughs> I love you. I love you, Benetta. <laughs> okay, now, uh, what is your accreditation exactly? I am a certified sommelier, and which means that I'm very, very, very good at pretending like I know what I'm talking about. Right. But I've always been a geek, so everything that I do, I do at extremes. And so when it came to opening a wine bar, it couldn't just be a wine bar. So my accreditation really, I think, lies in my passion for what we're doing as opposed to the tests that I've taken. Okay. But yeah, I did get certified sommelier. I have a master's degree in business, and I'm, like I said, very good at pretending like I know what I'm talking about. So, Do you find that that helps you out to be uh, to have that accreditation as far as people that may come here, they ask you for things, and you could tell them, yes, I am certified. Do, do, does that lend extra credence, or do, do you find that it doesn't matter as much? You have to be very careful. Because me as an extreme geek and me being super passionate about wine, it's easy to become too passionate because you have to realize that you're serving people who want to enjoy their evening and maybe learn a little bit about wine, but they don't want their three-hour experience at your wine bar to necessarily be the appellations of southern France and, right. and the reason why limestone soils taste different than clay soils. So yeah, the terroir really affects yeah. this tasting, oh, yes. especially with this wine. Well, we had yeah, a lot yeah. of rain what? this year. Right. <laughs> yeah, and it, it, it makes for... Great differences, and it makes for why we're passionate about wine. But I, I think that guests will dictate how geeky they want me to get. Okay. How how intense they want their experience to be. Otherwise, I'll tell them what they're going to be tasting and let them make their decisions that way. I see. What What is the most common question that you receive from a, a patron? I want a wine that is sweet but not very sweet. Sweet and not very sweet. Uh-huh. Okay. And because there's a general misconception of there being sugar in most white wines because of the fruit flavors that you get, the apples and the peaches and the right. pears. But in reality, most white wines have no sugar in them with the exception to maybe Gewürztraminer, or Riesling, dessert wines and, and things like that. So it becomes an interesting conversation because it's immediately an opportunity for me to share an experience with the people coming and saying, guess what, this has no sugar left in it. But it has great fruit qualities. So this is fruitiness, not necessarily sweetness. sweetness. Yeah. Definitely. So it helps them define their palate better. Okay. Now, 
maybe that's because, and this is my personal experience, the, the way I kind of started getting into wine was through the sweet stuff, through the Moscato was, was the first wine that actually... Night Train, maybe. No, because <laughs> no, it started off with actually it was not it was not Moscato it was a uh, it was a Chenin Blanc first and then uh, and then it got into Moscato from there and then I was just chasing that that yeah. flavor that taste well, bless your heart Chenin Blanc is my favorite white grape it, all right yeah yeah, yeah. That, the, that was the, the very first wine I think I bought was a Chenin Blanc Loire Valley Chenin Blancs are amazing even if they have a little touch of residual sugar I mean they can be wonderful wines along those same lines I think that most people kind of get an intro to wine with aperitifs and dessert wines. Because they're much more palatable if you're not familiar with wine. Right. And then you kind of transition from there to kind of like more uh, neutral whites or maybe even more the like kind of acidic whites. Personally, I, I'm a big fan of Torontes right now. And that stuff is, to me, it's, it's great. And then you get eventually over to the reds maybe if you take that route. Yeah, and if you're listening to this podcast and you want to get a significant other into wine, um, there's one wine that I've never met a person that didn't like it. It's called Brichetto d'Acqui. It's from the same region that Moscato d'Asti comes from, essentially. It's in neighboring villages. And it's a red, sparkling dessert wine with sweetness. Hmm. It's a good way to get people into wine. We have it here, and I serve it as a pertif usually, or to close if somebody's having a dark, bittersweet chocolate for dessert, and it goes great with it. So we'll use that here. And when somebody comes in, they don't know what they want, and they want to learn a little bit about wine. If they want something sweet, I usually pour that. Okay. Now, do you find that the people that come here, are, are they more wine connoisseurs? Are they people that want to go out to a wine bar? What's, what's the, I guess, clientele like? We get a ton of locals. The, the idea that people can walk here is very appealing. So oh, we get a ton of locals. Um, but the people that choose this place as a destination that they want to come and they reserve on Open Table or on Yelp or whatever, often it's one person who definitely knows about wine and wants to share that knowledge with another person. So you'll get somebody in here that is really excited about wine and wants to show somebody else about wine. And sometimes you'll get couples, because we've developed a good reputation of pouring very rare wine, so we'll get couples in here that have heard that we poured, you know, Schaefer Hillside Select by the glass, and they'll want to have tasted the new vintage because they bought a case, but it's not going to be ready to drink for another, you know, six years. They won't ah, open a bottle, so. Okay. So we get a good mix. We get a good mix, but mostly we get people that are really excited about wine. Beautiful. You're saying you get a lot of first dates, too. Great a first, ton. Great first date looking. Yeah, yeah, these dating sites, um, we get a lot of business from the dating sites because we have these machines that you pour the wine from called enomatic machines. Yes. And they're, they're gas systems that keep the wine's fresh, which allows us to pour these really high-end wines and not worry about spoilage. But at the same time, it also works for dates because it's the perfect icebreaker because you actually control your tasting experience. So you can walk around the machines, read the cards that are wrote, and choose the wines and see what you like and what you don't. And um, all of our wines are family-owned and sustainably produced and and so you're not putting anything bad in your body per se. Um, depends on how much you're drinking. Right. But, you know, we usually, <laughs> we're, we're not exactly the type of place that you'll see drunk people at. So, well, uh, you mentioned also that you could offer people really high end wines and that's not typical. I think that uh, kind of off air, we mentioned this, that this is, I, I feel it's much more boutique. It's much more specialized. You, you take that geekiness that you, have about wine and then it's kind of like this is your you sharing it with people and that's rare because other places don't have the wine lists that you do and you also rotate 
your wine list so often that you, you bring constantly new and new wine to people that are unaware of it. And, and other people, other stores, other establishments can't do that because yeah, it's th- harder. Th- well, they're, they're worried. They're concerned with spoilage and stuff like that because you have the, the Oregon machines and stuff like that. Correct. Yeah. And, and to be honest with you, I mean, it's great if you come in here and you taste a Rioja that you love. But there's a good chance that the next time you come in, that Rioja is going to be a different label because I don't, I don't want you to ever come to our restaurant and feel like you've tasted the wines before. It should be a tasting experience every time you come in. So it becomes really difficult to find wines that are at the quality level that I'm seeking sometimes, especially when you fall in love with the wine personally. So there are some exceptions. There are some wines here that I'll keep. They're just standards for me. Okay. For the most part, I want it that every time a guest, a regular comes in, there are plenty of wines that they haven't tasted before. Um, and that's what keeps people coming, I hope, you know, is the experience of trying new wines. And so what we're all about and what makes it a little bit harder, um, not that it's hard, it's actually fun and it's interesting, but um, is that we don't want to pour the wines that wine bars pour. We don't want to pour the wines that grocery stores have. We don't want to pour the wines that standard restaurants have. What we want to do is pour the super high-end, interesting, and rare wines that the best wine lists carry, but you feel that are out of reach. But guess what? Because we have these machines that pour tasting increments, you can taste them at a fraction of the price and actually see if it's caught up to be. Yeah. You know, so it's kind of a fun experience because you'll see some people, you know, fall in love with a very high end wine and they'll they'll nurse that little glass for the rest of the night. But then some people realize, you know, these high end wines just have you know, they're they taste great, but it's too oaky for me, for instance. And they'll go back to what they were drinking at a much more reasonable price and then enjoy the rest of the evening. But at least they had that experience and they got to taste those wines. So it yeah, makes it fun. Experience, I think, is, is a perfect word because since I've come into the wine world, it, it pretty much, it, every time I drink a wine, it's, it's an experience. And that's, yeah. I feel like, how it should be. If you come in and it's the same wines every single time, then you're not experiencing anything new. You're pretty much, you're, you become complacent in a certain place. Whereas here, you're, you're kind of forced into variety to broaden your horizons and try all these different things you didn't even know existed sometimes. And it, it makes you a much more rounded person as far as, well, as far as wine goes, but as far as a person goes as well, I feel. And guys like me, um, and I have I have a lot of respect for my own community, the 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 wine community here in Los Angeles. But guys like me have to justify our own existence. Okay. So what what you get is, is a situation where sommeliers often perpetuate the pretentiousness of wine rather than kind of breaking down those barriers to wine. So, And that's the real reason why I kind of love these machines, aside from the lack of spoilage, is like, hey, the power's out of my hands. I'm not telling you what you should be drinking or what you shouldn't be drinking. I'm just telling you what it tastes like. And it's up to you if you want to drink it or not. And even as passionate as I might be, or as much as I feel like I have to sell of it, I have no control over how much of it gets drank. And so... um, you get a situation where your guest is empowered to drink what they want rather than what you tell them. And so I'm minimizing my own role, maybe at my own expense, but it's okay because <laughs> I own the restaurant, so I'm not going to fire myself, you know. But, <laughs> but in, in which case, other in a more traditional setting, someone would be reluctant to do it. Okay. So, 
It's like you know, they're almost invested in uh, telling you what you should like as opposed to introducing you to things that you might like yeah. and then letting you decide for yourself. By being a purveyor of knowledge, you also become a barrier to entry. So hmm. by by being there to be a liaison between the winery and the person that's drinking it, you're also becoming the funnel that can keep information from being given. Right. And, um, and that's just me turning into a geek again, so I'll, <laughs> so I'll make it lighter than that. But uh, I'm kind of happy that we were able to kind of go around that. Okay. And, and you can. I mean, here there's, there's huge uh, labels that people have access to that they're not going to find anywhere else. And there's good value, too. I don't want to make it seem like we're arrogant and that we only pour really high-end wines. There are, there are wines here that are $32 for the bottle, with one that's even $28 for a bottle, which you never see in a restaurant because a restaurant needs to make its margins. But if, if I find a wine that I fall in love with that's, that's a reasonable price, well, guess what? I'm still going to carry it and I'm still going to support it, but it might not be as expensive as, you know, most restaurants would want their list to be. Okay. Now, aside from wine, you also serve food here. Yeah. Which, uh, for, I guess, most wine bars, uh, that's either something they focus more on. I think it's easy to focus more on food versus wine or, or vice versa. But here you have, you have a very nice wine setup and, and the, the menu that you have, the food that we, we tasted some earlier today, and it was, it was all very good stuff. And it's not tapas. It's right. actually slightly bigger than tapas. It's somewhere between an entree and a tapas. There's yeah. much more substance to it. The plates are small, but they're really hearty. So I liken it to... Like, let's say if you order, you, we had the steak here earlier. Well, when you order steak at a restaurant, you're going to get steak, you're going to get mashed potatoes, broccoli, and some really pretty but absolutely functionless green on the side of this plate. Here, yes. you're going to get steak. You're going to get, you're going to get the main part of that course without the accoutrement. And, um, that's kind of, it's a hearty small plate. So, where if you go to a tapas restaurant, you're going to order six, seven things per person. Right. Here, yes. you're going to order probably two. Two to three. If you're a big eater like me, three. And let me just say this. Don't ever trust a skinny restaurant owner. <laughs> because you want a restaurant owner that loves their food, right? I, I agree. Yeah, yeah. And if they spend too much time exercising, then they don't spend enough time in their restaurant. So me, I'm portly. I'm round. I love my food. The food's good. So I hope you guys will like it, too. Oh, it, it, was, <laughs> it, was, it was great. Yeah. Okay, but, yeah, we had a couple different dishes. Uh, start off with a salad. Which was, uh, which was tasty. It had a little bit of tangy as well. Yeah, the beet salads, three different types of beets, blue cheese, candied pecan, so pralines, and then she, our chef makes a orange-based vinaigrette. So that's what that tang comes from, okay. is ah, it's okay. an orange citrus vinaigrette. Uh-huh. We moved on to, there was, a, there was a bread that you had with a split pea and blue cheese on it. When you when you make small plates in a wine bar environment, it has to be a little bit sometimes like glorified bar food. Okay. And so how do you make a culinary version of something that's easy to eat, doesn't require a lot of uh, utensils and stuff like that? So we started to make these bruschettas. Like right now we're also doing uh, salmon with cucumber slices, uh, lemon aioli, and um, a little bit of cream cheese. But this one was more interesting to me because it's it's savory, salty, sweet, and it's fantastic. Um, yeah, so it's it's pecorino cheese, split peas, uh, lard on bacon, which bacon makes everything better, right? And then microgreens with touches of sea salt and lemon juice. I think the pecorino is really like well balanced with the split pea because the the pecorino tends to be a lot sharper, and then the the split pea kind of cut that, and then there was little like explosions of richness that came along with the lardon that yeah. was really good and then also with the bruschetta the it 
gave you a contrast in texture that was there. And, and that was really good that, because I think that texture is huge and it, it often doesn't get emphasized, but it, it's definitely a huge part of, of uh, the food that we eat. Yeah, and the, another thing we tried was uh, you had this jade sauce that was the, – well, the sauce in itself was something that I was just impressed with because you, you have uh, – there's some cilantro in there, there's, uh, which I, I got a lot of, which I'm a huge fan of cilantro. That was one of the, the main things that, that jumped out at me. But you also have spinach – and this, the sauce itself actually changes depending on what season it is. So you will see the sauce uh, reflective of what time of year it is with the scallops as definitely like the fundamental of that dish, which is, is amazing. I mean, yeah, that's, scallops that's are cool that it has that like little twist to it. And we've done roasted tomatoes. We've done asparagus. It's now at the jade sauce. It's probably going to move into, um, in the wintertime, something that's a little bit sweeter. So it's probably squash-based. And so the scallops always remain the same. The, the quality of the scallops that we get are phenomenal. But the sauce goes with the season. So right now we wanted to do something a little bit lighter, a little bit more earthy. So the spinach and parsley and cilantro, um, our chef emulsifies it with olive oil. So it's kind of, um, you do see pieces of green, but it's almost like uh, an emulsified liquid. So when it comes on the table, it actually goes really well, and it's easy to kind of scoop up with the scallop. We're really happy with it. It brings out the sweetness of the natural sweetness of the scallop because the jade sauce is so earthy. So. And the, the scallops were just amazing and cooked uh, perfectly. Yeah, that's that. If there was a signature dish that people really come back for, it's probably the scallops. Just because for the, it's always a good price. We don't, we never really um, jack the price on the scallops, and and uh, you get quite a lot of scallops for your money. I think another huge highlight on your menu was definitely the the lamb chops. I mean, those, I think, are just so high quality and cook so well that, that it just, like you said, basically, it needs hardly any work being invested in it. It's really just a salt, pepper, very simple uh, preparation that's associated with that. But um, it's such high quality that that's all it really needs for, for its, its uh, taste to be accentuated. I mean, the cool thing about having a menu that changes frequently is that over the year, that we've been open, we've developed a lot of recipes, but I've just, I think we've developed about 50 really strong recipes. So it, it's, it kind of makes this repertoire later on once we get closer to 7,500 different recipes that we have mm. of, of revolving style. You know, we, we've definitely got our style down. Our food looks like each food was meant to go with each other. It's, 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 it's hearty, full of flavor. And even when it's healthy, it's still hearty and full of flavor. So we're really happy about that. So now we're building our repertoire of recipes. And um, so it'll change. You know, the lamb chops won't be there all the time, but they'll definitely be a revolving door. Yeah. So. And I think that that's kind of like now what's being typified as far as like what your restaurant does is, is basically like here at the, at the lounge, I should say. They bring you constantly bring in new wines. You're going to be constantly bringing in new recipes, so that you're kind of at the forefront of whatever's going on. You, if people come here, they can expect the thing that they're getting in front of them is going to be new. It's going to be something that they most likely haven't experienced before, and they're going to love it. Or if they're not sure what they're going to want, then you're going to be able to guide them through, and then they're going to get something that they do love because yeah. you give them a very intimate dining experience as well because you know the people that come into your restaurant. 
as opposed to dictating to the guests, we let the guests dictate to us a little bit. So we have some people that come in for half an hour and we have some people that stay for three and a half hours. So there's no real true, you know, dining experience that you'd see in fine dining where you can, we can't even say that this table is going to turn every two hours because in reality we had like just yesterday, we had a couple that came in at six thirty and they left at 11. So they were here four and a half hours. Wow. We don't, you know, we like being the locals place and we, we love our locals. We like being the place you go to experiment wines maybe before or after dinner or before or after a show. We really want to be the place that if you're a wine lover, you'll say, this is the spot that I really go to experience new wines or, or to talk about wines. And, and so that's what we're really trying to get out. Now, that being said, if I was going to dine at my restaurant, I would order one small plate at a time because in reality, the cool thing about these small plates is that you can pair wines to each specific plate. And we have 55 wines by the glass. So I, I pretty much, especially if, you know, if you're willing to let me help pair to those things, it, it becomes a situation where each dish can pair with three or four wines. And so I can create this kind of catered tasting experience at a price much, much more reasonable than like a chef's tasting menu. Definitely. So it's it's fun. It's fun. And people that want to experiment have a great time. You know, we do have a, a bottle list and a by-the-glass list if people don't want to deal with the machines. And um, by all means, you know, we're happy to cater to that as well. So. But, the, but the machines are so cool, though. Why would you not yeah, want to deal yeah. with them? It just, cause it's my first experience seeing anything like that. And the, the way it works uh, is there's a card that you give to every person, and it pretty much becomes their tab in a way. And they'll put it into the machine, and then they'll start pouring whatever wine they would like from whichever location. You have uh, 40 wines? 40 wines in the machines, and then we pour 15 by the glass. Okay. Because it doesn't serve a full a full glass. It's, uh, it's 50 mLs. 50 mLs. Yeah. So you can kind of get a, a taste of a wine before you decide you want to get the whole bottle. Exactly, exactly. And, and to be honest with you, you can even get a bottle of something affordable and good, but you can also have a taste of something that's rare and expensive, too. You know, And it kind of demystifies those super high-end wines. Well, and oddly enough, your uh, food menu is locally sourced completely, though. Yes, with the exception to the salmon oh. that that's actually coming off the menu because of the fact that it's not locally sourced. Okay, well, uh, back to the uh, the food you're eating then, because there's, there's a couple things that I, I think need to be mentioned because they were so awesome. You had the... Uh, the uh, skillet steak with yes. the uh, with the butter that is is made with uh, there's some blue cheese in there. Yeah, it's a compound butter. Yeah, it's 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 awesome. Is what it is. Yeah, and, and it's served the butter served soft, so you just like stick your fork in a little bit, get a little bit of the butter. Um, the steak is already pre-sliced. We're really fanatic about temperature, so. If you don't get the temperature you want, I'll have more of a cow than you will, pretty much. So, um, the compound, it's really simple. It's sea salt. There is a little bit of trick that we, the chef does, but she probably would be unhappy if I told you. I love the, uh, the menu that you guys have because it's, it's all food that's good in of itself, but it's also every single one of those dishes, you can taste it and then you find yourself imagining like, oh, this would be perfect to pair with. X, yeah. Y, Z, Y. And, and that's just amazing. I think that's great. My, my biggest pet peeve when you go to a restaurant is when you feel like, and we do do that from time to time, but when you feel like the menu is catered towards a, like a specific demographic group or like came out of a focus group, you know, so right. they're dotting um, all their I's and crossing all their T's. Our, we're not like that. Um, we pride ourselves on each dish being very well thought out. Okay. Each dish has to have like its own statement. 
and we'll often spend like a week working on one dish and remaking it and trying it different ways and and chef nicole is amazing about that so but when it does come out and when it's finalized it's scientifically replicatable you know the the thing is when you cook by hand it's it's harder than when you have a recipe so when we develop a good recipe we know huh. that it's going to come out consistent and it does require love and some other intangibles, uh, knowledge and experience. But for the most part, we we focus on our recipes. Very good. And and just so people can kind of uh, appreciate the other end of that, because I, I think that's the food end. But um, how much research really, how often do you have to taste? And how many events do you have to go to to actually source the wine that you put into your restaurants because i think that what nicole does is was what we just mentioned but the other end of that is definitely what you do to to bring the wine list to the customers that you you know it's a tough life (laughs) yeah (laughs) it's a tough life when when reps bring you wine to taste no um i taste a lot of wine in a week i've probably tasted you know between 70 and 100 different wines um when we go to these large tasting events you kind of they're they're fun for the first half an hour and then you realize what you really need to taste and so even though there's like 450 wines available to taste you'll probably only taste about 20 getting in and out of there mm-hmm. uh, that's what i limit myself to because then all of it starts to blur okay. and uh, your palate starts to die out well mine does yeah and, and your nose you know maybe your nose and and the other sensory Items don't get as you know depraved as your taste buds, but it is alcohol, and alcohol does absorb through the skin. So I could see why why you would say that, and it makes sense. Um, but I figure if your taste buds are drunk, then at least they're happy. Right? <laughs> <laughs> All this wine tastes great. Yeah. Um, unfortunately, there's some wine that doesn't taste so great, and that's that's kind of my role. And, and bring these wines here. So we, we focus on what's rare, mm. but what's rare doesn't mean necessarily mean what's good or doesn't necessarily mean what our guests are going to enjoy. So it's a balance and we kind of walk, walk a tightrope with it a little bit. Yeah. I mean, people could think that your life is just cake going around, drinking all the time and eating food, but yeah, you suffer for them. <laughs> yes. That's yeah. what you do. Yeah, you, yeah, yeah. you drink the bad wine for them. Yeah. Yeah. That yeah. Montrachet was tough work. Yeah. You know, that, you know, that big Napa Valley cab, it was tough, tough, tough. Right. You know? Dif- very difficult. My liver doesn't like me very much. You are a hero, sir. No, <laughs> no, actually we don't, you know, I don't, it, uh, we're sitting here and we're enjoying a glass of wine, but for the most part, you don't swallow, you know, you spit out every wine because you don't want, it's a habit forming out drink. Right. You know oh, what I mean? You don't want to be that guy. At least I don't want to be that guy. My wife doesn't want me to be that guy, so I'm not that guy. But yeah, it's, it's, it's not as glamorous as it seems because you actually, the more you taste, the more you refine your palate, the more finicky you become. Uh, and the more you're, you, the more you realize what flaws in wines are like. And it's, it's a, it's a downward, slippery slope because as soon as you really learn how to taste then you everyone becomes a food critic there's one more menu item that i wanted to do uh, talk about it was the uh the braised lamb over the soft polenta oh the braised lamb so the, we had it at lunch today as it was a braised lamb with goat cheese chevre, chevre. on an open-faced tartine okay uh, it's served with a bitter greens and mint on the top that lamb is braised for seven hours in a basic mirepoix red wine. It's, it's just a very, very southern French 
style braising that was um the recipe actually came from a consultant chef named Michelle Salat and it's like the best damn recipe I've ever seen. So we totally use it every single day and bless her heart for it. So but that being said, um it's really dense, it's really rich and um it actually that same braising technique goes really well with wild boar, so we'll sometimes do it with wild boar as well. That was the lunch version that we had with the fries that, that you could get truffled or not. In the evening, we serve it as a poutine, okay. which is, uh, you know, it's a Canadian Montreal based phenomenon where it's, it's basically, it's basically like chili cheese fries, essentially, you know, <laughs> it's gravy, meat, and cheese curds, except we use goat cheese instead of the cheese curds. So we'll use the braised nice. lamb over the French fries with goat cheese, and it's like uh, a stoner's dream come true, you know, so, so <laughs> just add a donut and the stoner will be happy. <laughs> That's one of those items where it's just like, you can't go wrong. And, and then you bring it to like somebody's table or whatever. And it may sound like extremely high end because there are these really high end ingredients that go into it. But then like you cut into it and you're just like, Oh my God, this is just the best thing ever. And, and I thought it was an extremely good dish. There was a lot of elements involved in it and each one of them show. Yes. In the dish. And a lot of times what you see was people try to overcomplicate things often and then they throw in a bunch of stuff into a dish and then you don't taste it and you taste like one or two things and you're like, well, where was X ingredient? And you're like, well, what was the point of having it in there then? Yeah. And the reality is most people get their experience from a lamb, from a person that either grills on the weekends and doesn't really know how to prepare lamb or from an affordable value driven Greek restaurant where they're getting lamb kebabs or some Middle Eastern place where the entire plate of food costs you $11, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and you're not getting the best cuts of meat. You know, you're not getting the best grade of lamb. You're not getting something that's local. You're getting something that was shipped from somewhere else and frozen five times. And, All right. you know, it's, it's, there's so much more that goes into it. So I think that, I mean, of the, six things that we had together two of them were lamb yes i don't think either of them had the stereotypical negative qualities that you associate with lamb i think it's just that people haven't had a good lamb i agree so you know what i mean so that that the the lamb that we use for braising and the um is the lamb shoulder which actually if you tried cooking it quickly it would be the the chewiest you know it's the it's a hard cut of meat when you braise it for five hours like that, four or five hours in red wine, it, it shreds. Yes. And when you shred it like that, it's just, it's great. It's delicious. Yeah. The, the thing I liked about it the most, I think, was well, the first bite I took was I got pretty much just lamb. It was like falling off the bread that I had cut. And it, it tasted phenomenal. And then the second bite I took, it had the cheese in there as well. And just like, like wow. Like goat cheese. Is really yeah. Good. <laughs> <laughs> it, was, like, it was very sharp. And it wasn't overly sharp. It was sharp just right for me. Anyways. It was perfect. Yeah. Yeah. You know, most restaurants, when they make these kind of like these compound butters or these cheese spreads or, you know, the artichoke dip, they're not using their super quality cheese that they're using on their cheese plates. They're buying the, the whole wholesale distributors cheese of that. But we don't do that. We use, we use, you know, the same quality of cheese that we put on our cheese plates, which is very high end. We also use in the production of our foods because it just adds that it adds another layer, you know what I mean? So if we're expecting to pour really high-end wines, why should we go, you know, half-fast half on, on the, the food? Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. But, yeah, we aspire for greatness, so yeah. we're, we're trying to push towards it. 
I, th- I think you're getting that. I think that that's what you're bringing with the with just the whole boutique atmosphere, with all of the special ingredients that go into your food, and 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 I, you know, you you say it's not Michelin star with the restaurant thing, but I think that that's actually better because when you get away from that, you lose a sense uh, a certain type of pretentiousness that, that's also associated with it. Don't get me wrong; it's great. Those restaurants are wonderful, but I think that when you want something. That's going to be a much more comfortable, casual atmosphere for people to have a good time and have a great experience and not be concerned with being so food-focused that there's just an overwhelming amount of pressure associated with their dining experience. Then that's what you want. You want something casual where you, where you can enjoy the food without any strings attached. Yeah, and the one thing you had mentioned to us earlier before we started recording is that you're kind of going for a living room atmosphere. Yeah, and I think that comes across very well because you're so personable. As soon as we walked in, we were greeted. It was a very warm, inviting environment, and uh, just the the you look around. You, it's not. It doesn't scream like uh, pretentious at you. It, it's not the super fine dining where you got uh, chandeliers and stuff, all kinds of stuff to kind of uh, maybe distract your attention from possible bad food or bad wine. <laughs> yeah. uh, where here, it's every everything is just kind of. You, you feel comfortable. By all means, please keep your shoes on. <laughs> but that being said, yeah, yeah, we definitely we don't want it to be a place where you feel like it's a cold experience. We want we want to recognize you when you walk in. We want you to feel like you were recognized when you walked in. We want to felt like we took an extra step, not because we needed to, because we're trying to cover up something, but because we really, really want you to come back. And I think that that most LA restaurants that are in part of the scene like we're we're part of an excellent scene right now but most of the real scene store restaurants don't care as much for the guest experience right yes it's, and, it's more of a business where in your case it's, it's a passion for yeah. yeah and it's a fashion like it's a style you know you go mm. i don't want i don't want to name names but some of these bigger restaurants you go into and there it's more about the image that they're portraying even in the way the food is designed on the plate um, rather than the people that are eating the food. So we're kind of the opposite. I mean, everything is well thought out, but we're definitely guest-focused, gift-driven. Uh, so before we, uh, before we wrap up here, is there anything else that you would like us to uh, talk about? We support local art. All of our art is revolving. So each month we choose a different local LA artist to present on our walls. Uh, we do bi-weekly tastings. Not bi-weekly, semi-weekly. So every other week we do tastings. Okay. Um, they'll either focus on a specific winery or region of the world. We were designed by an award-winning architect, uh, Kelly Architects, who did the Edison. Oh, nice. Did Moza, the, I think he did the Pizzeria for Moza or the Osteria. He did one of those too, but he won an award for architect of the year, California architect of the year. So, and it's a family run business. When I'm not here, one of my family members is here to cover me, but I'm pretty much chained to this place for, for better or for worse. So right. I'm usually always here. So Thursdays I'm just in school. So, okay. And Sundays go to my wife because she'll leave me otherwise. I got to spend some time with the ladies. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And uh, you can go to the website. It's 320southwine.com. Yes. And I see here you can make reservations on, on yes. the website. Yes. That's through Open Table. So you open can table. go to Open Table, our website, Yelp, and of course, call. You can always call. Yes. Yeah. You can make a call at uh, 323-932-9500. Yes. yes. Ask for Edgar if you would like somebody to be very nice on the phone. Right. <laughs> All right. We're trying to be very nice on the phone. <laughs> and uh, what are the hours of operation? Hours of operation are um, nightly 6 p.m. On the days that we're open for lunch, we open at 
and we'll close at 2.30. Um, and then nightly from 6. And on the weekdays, Sunday through Thursday, the kitchen will close at 10. Last call about a half hour later. And on Friday and Saturday, the kitchen closes at 11. We do last call around midnight. Okay. Well, uh, thank you very much for having us into your wonderful establishment. It's a lot of fun, yeah. Yeah, the food was great, the wine was great, everything... Everything's fantastic. Good company and good wine. That's Absolutely, definitely. Yeah. So, um, yeah, check out well, on the website. We'll put uh, links to the uh, to your website, to your yes. uh, the Facebook and everything as well. Please. And uh, yeah, thanks again. And uh, until next time, I'm Adam. I'm Rex. I'm Edgar. Cheers. Cheers.